0: I I like, particularly the phrase, stands out to me today. Martin Lloyd-Jones says uh, something to the effect of, can we say that I was, but I am no longer? Um, And that really is going to kind of ring out in today's message from this passage. Um, Because if you can say, I was and I am no longer then you can actually begin to get at what is thankfulness and what is the pathway to thankfulness. Um, so with that said, let me begin. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. I'm sorry, yeah, Ephesians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 20 today. We'll read a few verses before. But we will be right in verse 20, carrying on with where we have been. Let me read to you this quote I read from a dear friend this past week. It says this, God is teaching me that I am not privileged to anything. It's grace. It's grace I can have AC in my house. It's grace that I can stay home and disciple our children. It's grace that I have been reconciled to a mighty God who has adopted me into His family. It's grace I can vote. I am not privileged to anything. You know, we are a people. Even in the church, who have a regular and rhythmic problem with entitlement and other similar thoughts. I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. I'm privileged to this. This is my rights. And this is kind of ingrained into us, even as Americans, right? That we have these certain inalienable rights, right? I mean, it's written into our... Our own constitution, Bill of Rights and this, and we have these certain rights. and we get wrapped up in there without critical thinking, all of these sorts of entitlements, and all this well, this is mine because I deserve it. I've done this, and I've done this, this and this, and so therefore I should be entitled to this. we give you some examples. I have this house in a safe neighborhood because I'm entitled to it. I have this job because I'm entitled to great money in order to pay for all the things that I want. Right? Again, assuming entitlement to I should be able to have what I want. It sounds a lot like what? The American dream. Prosperity. I can have what I want. Just got to try hard, right? Everyone can become president of the United States. Like, listen, this is just not going to happen, right? Or everyone can be a pro sports player. You just got to try hard enough. Everyone can go to the Olympics. You just got to try hard enough, right? We're all entitled to reach that kind of level. Or maybe some other examples is I don't have this position, that I'm entitled to have. Right? So it's not necessarily something I have and I feel that I'm entitled to it, but maybe it's something I want and I'm being, it's being withheld from me because I'm entitled to it. Or I don't have the help that I need, financial, physical, or otherwise, that I'm entitled to have. Just observing here, why do we have this Kind of complex, for lack of better terms. This kind of struggle, whether you're a child or an adult, I think it's because we think we are awesome. me think of the Lego song, right? Everything is so awesome, especially me, right? Because of why? We all struggle with pride and self-righteousness. We all struggle with an overestimation of self, as Romans 12 talks about. Why else would Paul warn us against having a right e- uh, estimation of self? Because we have the struggle. We think because of what we have done and who we are that we have certain privileges. So let me ask you this question. Who in your life gets the most pats on the back? You know what I mean by a pat on the back? Does everyone know what I mean? Even children know what I mean by that? Like a thank you, right? A pat on the back. Thank you. So who in your life gets the most thank you? Who in your life gets the most pats on the back? Listen, there is not a person in this room, elder or otherwise, who can answer this question any differently. And that is you and I get the most pats on the back in our lives. Your back is sore with expressions of gratitude from yourself. We do this all the time. It's the very nature of the flesh. I'm fantastic, and I deserve X, Y, and Z. Thank myself. In the garden, this is present. Adam and Eve think we are entitled to what God is withholding from us. Because why? Because we can do this on our own. Because we are capable of this. But I ask you this question. What person, busy with thankfulness to self, has room to be thankful to god what person who has room, who who is busy with thankfulness to self has room to be thankful to god if you want to tweet something there's your, your tweetable comment just kidding we're very busy with thankfulness to self very busy At the very least, we're busy with thankfulness to all the wrong places. There's really only two options. Like we like to try and vary things up and make things confusing and ambiguous. we're either thankful to God or we're thankful to ourselves. <clears throat> we'll see why in a few bit in a few minutes. But Paul is telling us here, in this passage, what we've been working through is to look at your life, to, to, to examine carefully to look carefully, to look intently, to look with accuracy at your life, to make sure that it resembles a life called out of darkness into the light, a life called out of darkness into being sons and daughters of God. And he's saying to examine that it resembles that. And that's very key. I don't want to let too much of the cat out of the bag, but... When we forget that that's what's happened, then we lose thankfulness. Just keep that in the back of your mind. But he wants to make sure that this life resembles a life called out of darkness to be sons and daughters of God. He goes on to describe what this looks like. I'm just kind of re- rehearsing some that we've talked about. <laughs> this life looks like godly wisdom. It looks like making the most of the time, redeeming the time. It looks like discerning the will of God, like knowing and working through daily, practically, what is the will of God. This this we're talking like a month and a half ago by now. Uh, Then two weeks ago, we talked about it looks like being made to look like Christ or to be filled with Christ by the Spirit. And so from that point forward now, this, that this person who's been called out of darkness to life is going to be filled with Christ by the Spirit. Now we're talking about more specifically, what does that filling of the Spirit look like? What does that filling of the Spirit look like? Again, made to look like Christ. And the first aspect that we talked about, what that looks like to be filled with Christ by the Spirit, is that we are filled with joy. So filled with joy that the truth of God comes out in song and speech, both to God and to each other, that was last week. That someone filled with Christ by the Spirit's going to have this joy welling up inside of them as the truth is taking hold of them, that then comes out in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. That these songs don't just come out of nowhere, but they come from this deep truth abiding of our hearts. Our whole being, essentially overtaken by the truth of God, begins to sing truth of God and to the praise of God, both to each other, so we can hear and be encouraged and to God. And We talked about how our singing last week is not just singing truth for ourselves, but for each other. I want to encourage you, I, I, I was blessed by... By uh, the response to last week's sermon, particularly this morning, um, I'm encouraged that people were in their seats and ready to worship, like before we even started. Like that was encouraging. I, don't, I didn't. We didn't tell anybody to do that. Um, it was an implication of what we talked about, but part of being ready and having your heart ready. Because the reality is, is that each one of us have a responsibility this morning. It's not just. Matt and the band, right, have a responsibility, and the sound crew, and those who uh, watch kids, it's, everyone has a responsibility on Sunday mornings, everyone has a responsibility all the time, really, but particularly on Sunday mornings, as we think about singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to each other, and then last week, we ended thinking about how do we make these songs, how do we sing the right songs, We talked about the end, how we must believe that God is both the audience and the voice of our praise. That He is both the one who makes the song come about, and He is the one to whom ultimately our song goes. We talked about how we are the instrument by which God becomes present in praise to Himself. It's a deep concept That's a great one to unpack with your kids over the next 10 years. Praise God that he could use someone like me and someone like you to praise himself and to lead others to commune with him as well. That's kind of where we ended last week. Praise God that he could do that. That he could take a wretched sinner like you and me and make this voice of truthful praise come out. That it would then encourage and strengthen, convict even, empower, help each other out, and bring glory to Him. But I come back to this question. Who has time to sing these praises to God when we've become so comfortable with thanking oftentimes the wrong person for the provision and the things and the blessings that we have? So with that said, let's read verse 18-20 through of Ephesians 5. We'll focus on verse 20. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know it goes on. That will be next week. But giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we will spend our time today. The first thought for you this morning is this. Christians filled by the Spirit will offer regular thanksgiving to God the Father. Christians filled by the Spirit will offer regular thanksgiving to God the Father. We're going to flesh this out in great detail this morning, but for right now, some specific introductory remarks concerning that. Let me say this People who have been redeemed and filled by the Spirit will be thankful people. I would ask you to think about this for a second. Would those around you easily? describe you as a thankful person would those around you describe you as a thankful person and 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 probably most of the hearts in this room just went uh, right I, I hope so I hope so we should at least be honest that will get us at this and and if, if you're not honest then Hopefully we'll get at that too. But someone filled by the Spirit will be a thankful person. So we're going to talk about how we get at this thankfulness. But for now, let me tell you what being filled with thankfulness does not look like. Okay? Sometimes that's the best way to describe what it looks like. Paul does that all over the place. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He tells us what it doesn't look like in order to help us figure out what it does look like. He says, those, so let me give you what it does not look like. Those who are filled by the Spirit will not be complainers. Those who are filled with the Spirit will not be pessimists. Or the cute phrase, realists. Like, like, seriously, I, I, just as a side note here on this pessimism and realistic like, We should be so, like, engulfed by the gospel that to the world, we just look like crazies. Okay? Like, we look like, not, not like optimists. We look like optimist times ten. Like, we look just like we should be in a loony bin, right? Because maybe we should compared to the rest of the world. We will not be complainers. This is not look. Being thankful does not look like being complainers. Thankful does not look like being pessimist or realist. Or how about this critical? I'm not talking about like some of us. Yes, yeah, some of us need to think more critically. But I'm talking about having a, a a a nature of criticalness. Thankfulness is also does not look like entitlement. So pick your descriptor. This is not what the Bible. Says should be true of those of you who follow Jesus Christ. This idea of giving thanks is the fourth descriptor again in this where this immediate context that describes the result of someone who is filled with the Spirit. And what he's talking about, this thankfulness, this is what the Bible says should be true of you if this is the case. That you are a thankful person. Not just every once in a while you give thanks, not just you are thankful on Sunday mornings or during house gathering or in DNA or when you say your prayer before you eat. Listen, you can say every prayer before you eat and, be, and thank God for that food and be one of the least thankful people around. See, we like those little check boxes. We can kind of do that and, 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 and feel like we're a thankful person because we said our little prayers here and there. Paul's not after that. God's not after this, this doing religious activity. He's after a heart that is thankful. Thankful. And that's much harder to get at. You see, the former is just legalism. I do this, this, and that makes me look religious. That fulfills my duty. I want to propose to you this morning that I think if we step back, even step out of Ephesians for a moment, and kind of look at the broader biblical context, and do what some of you would know as doing biblical theology. So, what is the whole Bible? Talk? I, I think that. The problem, if we do that, if the problem is not so much that we're not thankful people, I think the problem is largely that we attribute gratitude and thankfulness to all the wrong places. And so I just want to give you a quick couple thoughts here, looking a little more broadly at the Scriptures. Think back to Adam and Eve. I've already referenced them once. What do they do? Think about this. They're in the middle of the garden, with everything they need, and God even walks in their presence, right? He walks. What happens? They cease being thankful for what they have and envious for what they see as God withholding from them. You see, if they were sufficiently thankful for what they had, then they would have never grabbed for something they believe to be God withholding from them that they should have. Another example I want to read to you from Exodus 32, verse one through six, very quickly here. It says, "When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, right, let's pause here for a second, what's going on in the story? Where are they at? What's God doing? God's giving the law, like the Ten Commandments. Like God is meeting with Moses. Right? The God, the creator of the world, who once walked with Adam and Eve, is now, to some measure, walking with Moses up on the mountain. <clears throat> the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, listen, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Listen to those striking words. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Do you see their thankfulness misdirected? Thankfulness to God. He brought us up out of Egypt. And in the midst of this God who delivers them from slavery, in the midst of that God meeting with their leader Moses, they begin to lose sight of this thankfulness to this God, the one and true God, and begin to fashion for themselves with their own hands something in which they can't attribute credit to. Do you see the thankfulness misdirected? Listen, church. Church. The story of Israel is not meant to just be a story about some people like we would read in a history book. In many ways, the story of Israel is ours. Let me read to you another story Luke 15, verse 28. We'll stop at verse 30. Here we have the story of the prodigal son. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the story. I'm not going to rehash it. But here we come to kind of the end of the story of the prodigal son. And now we're talking about the elder son who never left home. Verse 28. But he was angry. This is the elder son and refused to go in. Go into where? Go into the party that was being thrown. He refused to go into the grace that was being shown to his younger brother. So his father came out and entreated him. So just like the younger son, the father goes out. Same thing here, the father goes out. Verse 29, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes you killed the fattened calf for him what do you see from the elder son here a misdirected thankfulness and we're going to come back to this much later who is it like why should this young goat have been given to me to celebrate with my friends because i have served you for many years and i have never disobeyed your command so, what's he saying, Father? You should have celebrated and been thankful to me for my obedience. I mean, how? What kind of audacity does that take? You should be thankful to me, but I have done this, Father. I hope you're beginning to see. Like, I hope it, maybe some lights are going off and some dots are being connected. You're going, okay? Whoa, 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 whoa. I kind of felt like that the other day. I kind of felt like that this morning. I saw that in my life last week. Like lights of, oh, but Father, I have done this. Or, well, thank goodness I have these things. Instead of thanking the right person. So what I want to do is, I want to dive into what what specifically, like, does this Thanksgiving look like? And we're going to kind of round it off with, how do we get at that? How do we walk towards that? And when we do that, we'll kind of bring us right back around to where we just stopped here with the prodigal son. So I'm going to give you four descriptions of what thankfulness looks like according to this passage. Four descriptions. The first one is this. Thanksgiving should be offered regularly and constantly regularly, and constantly. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks. We've already kind of talked about that. Always. So for the next few moments, we're going to talk about that word always. Giving thanks always. What's he saying? We're to make sure we give thanks when we sit down to eat our dinner. We're to make sure we give thanks on Sunday morning. He's saying we are to be thankful, let me interpret always for you, all the time, all the time, regularly and constantly, all the time. Now, I want you to look back. Have you been thankful regularly and constantly this past week? All day long. How about those moments of trial and suffering? Were you thankful? I wasn't. The sermon was for me. I would venture to say that we're probably not even thankful most of the time. I know, that's a scathing remark, but it's, it's true. I doubt there's a person in this room who is thankful most of the time. Like, honestly, I, as I interact, even with people in our church, like, some... People are depressed acting all the time. like And that and thankfulness, and how do these things go together? But here's the deal. You will only be thankful regularly and constantly if you have a heart of thankfulness. Again, I'm, I'm just kind of teasing you a little bit because I want to come back to that. But this this regular and constant thankfulness has to come from some place inside naturally because you and I cannot manufacture synthetically or in like like in a fake way we cannot manufacture we cannot create regular and constant thankfulness because here 's the deal when you get into like particularly like in the, a some time of suffering or a trial like whatever comes out like that, that's what's going to come out right like whatever's in your heart's going to come out in that moment and it's going to show you so your heart if that heart is not bent towards thankfulness then what's going to come out is i'm entitled to this or i'm i'm entitled to get through this or i'm entitled to not be suffering those are the things that will come out or thank goodness i made it through today I don't have time to explore this today, but I want you to see that thankfulness and joy are strongly connected. And you really won't have one without the other. So this gratitude is to be all the time. And this gratitude to God, which grabs a hold of our whole being, will be obvious in our expressions. What I mean by that is that a thankful heart will be obvious in the way we live. It will be on display. It's not, it's not okay, well, I have a thankful heart, but, you know, most of the time I just, I kind of am a complainer, or i kind of critical, or I kind of, you know, want this and that and not happy with this. and Like, it doesn't work that way, Right? What comes out is res- is resembling what is inside. So it's you can't look back this past week and go, well, yeah, I have a thankful heart. I'm thankful to God for His work on the cross and and His and His wor- uh, the work of the gospel, and I'm thankful for all these things that we're going to talk about today. And then the what comes out is idolatry and and selfishness, and it, it doesn't work that way. What comes out is coming from someplace inside. So, so this, this gratitude to God should grab a hold of our whole being, and it will be obvious in our expressions as it does, as it grabs a hold of, I should say. Again, it's easy for us to express gratitude when times are well, but what does our heart do in the tougher times? Does thanksgiving hold you when times are tough? Or does your vision get so blurred? You see, this idea of thanksgiving, thinking about it as a conviction and and derivative and, and coming forth from convictions, like those are what holds you during tough times. Not just happy thoughts about Jesus. Paul is saying that the evidence of being filled by the Spirit is constant and regular thankfulness. The second thing Paul is saying about thankfulness is that there are good reasons for such Spirit-guided or Spirit-directed, Spirit-inspired thanksgiving. That there are reasons for this. That there are many good, good, good reasons for why you should be thankful. Look what he says. Verse 20, "...giving thanks always and for what?" For what? Everything. Anything this past week that you didn't want to give God thanks for? We're to give God thanks for everything. Like, the idea here is comprehensively For the riches which have been lavished upon us, and particularly them as he's talking to those in Ephesus. And for the suffering that they will endure. Look, we, we have an opportunity, even in some leadership training this past week, with a few guys, I was encouraging them, as we sat down to look at some areas of growth, We can view these areas of growth as either opportunities to frustrate us or opportunities of grace and thankfulness. I was in a conversation yesterday with my wife and we were talking about a a difficult situation. And what was encouraging to her in the moment was you can view this as either an opportunity of frustration Or, an opportunity to be thankful for God's grace. Paul says to be thankful for everything. Now, the reality is this that this does not come natural to us. It doesn't come natural to you, it doesn't come natural to me. We are too bound up in thankfulness to ourselves. Like, we, we think, thank goodness I deserve this. But you see, the innumerable benefits which we receive from God should bring forth a fresh thankfulness every day. You know, Christian, I don't think we know well enough the immeasurable grace of God. Like, like we do. Like we've experienced it. We just tend to attribute it, again, gratuity going to the wrong person or the wrong people. I'm not just talking about when you go to the hospital and someone is healed and that you make sure you thank God as well as the doctors. I'm not talking, certainly that, but not just that. I'm talking about when, when you should have, in your flesh, gotten so angry at your child that you yelled, but instead, something in you with hel- like held you back and brought the truth of God to your heart to share with your child. Were you thankful for who did that? Or, when you did proceed to act inappropriately towards your child, and you went to the Father in repentance, were you thankful to Him for His forgiveness? Or were you like, thank goodness I knew to go to the Father for repentance. That's the religious thing to do, I need to make sure that I do that. see, we need to know. And, and, and part of what I'm referring to here too is like mentally knowing the immeasurable grace of God. Meaning studying it and learning it from God's Word. I would encourage you, you could at least start f- for learning that in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Uh, it would be a great place to, to fill in your understanding of the immeasurable grace of God. Let me tag for just a few moments this idea of being thankful for everything. This means we're to be thankful, as I've already alluded, to trial to God through trials and suffering. And listen, church, if you're not in a major trial or suffering right now, like either way, you need to listen. Because you need to know this for when that time comes, because it will come. So there's a the question: Are we supposed to give thanks for things like murder, abuse, like the physical sickness and the brokenness of a body? Like, do we thank God that my body is broken? I would argue no. Now, I'm not trying to go against what Paul's saying here, but I think the broader context of of the scriptures that we we don't we don't thank God for things that He hates. He hates murder. He hates abuse. He hates the fact that our bodies are broken because of sin. That means even physical illnesses. That, like that, that, that the illness in and of itself is a result of man's brokenness spiritually. We're not thanking God for that. We're, but listen to this. I want to read to you a quote from um, a guy named uh, Dr. Brian Chappell. He says this, To the extent... That tragedy makes us dependent on our Lord and enables others to see His comfort and seek His eternal promises. We can give thanks. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about this this idea of it's not the it's not the actual uh, wrong that we're thanking God for, but we're thanking God for the use of that wrong for His glory, which is what He does. Right? That's what He does. Starting even with the garden is he takes Adam and Eve's wrong and he transforms and uses that for his glory. Like, that's more of a miracle than your physical healing. The fact that he could take that and take your heart, my heart, and sing praises to him through the midst of that. That's amazing. He goes on to say this, And stars, he says, as stars shine brighter in the desert, and a diamond is more beautiful on black velvet, so the name of our Savior, his glory, honor, and redemption, beacons more brightly and intensely in the darkness of the world. See, the darkness doesn't serve to drive us down, but only serves to magnify his brilliance. He goes on to say this. He says, We can praise Him now for the down payments of the fulfillment of His promised kingdom, even in this present darkness. What do I mean by that? I mean like He has promised, and the Spirit's present in our life is a down payment, that He will fix everything that is broken. Everything. Our sinful hearts, our broken bodies, The evil of this world, that that the Spirit's present in God's people is a down payment, that He will finish all of that someday. So in the midst of that suffering, if we can get a hold of those couple things, the fact that He can and will use it for the good of His children, and that He will eventually fix it all, you hold on to those two truths in the middle of suffering. And those will help see you through. So we don't thank God for evil. We thank God for His use of evil. Number three. Number three. Our thankfulness ultimately belongs to God the Father. Our thankfulness ultimately belongs to God the Father. Now, I know as a group of Trinitarian believing Christians, meaning we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all equally God, but yet distinct, that we like to interchangeably use people of the Trinity for various things. We will oftentimes pray and thank Jesus, and sometimes we'll thank God, and we kind of just flippantly exchange those names and titles. I would encourage you away from that. I would encourage you to pray with carefulness and specificity when you pray. Teach your kids to pray right. Paul, listen, he's saying, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Now listen, let me caveat a little bit further what I just said. Are you sinning if you thank Jesus for everything? I'm not willing to say that you're sinning. I'm saying that you could be more precise with what you're saying. And words matter to God. Okay? Paul says to give thanks always and for everything, not to the Spirit, and not to Jesus Christ, but to God the Father. And I think he does that for a very specific reason. Because I think Paul understands the workings of the Trinity. I think Paul understands that they each do a different role. They all are deserving of thankfulness for different things. And Paul is going to demonstrate that here. Here. Right, and we'll get, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but we'll get there in a second. So he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's, what, here's one of the main reasons from this context that I believe Paul is pushing us to be thankful to God the Father. This specific portion, or this specific uh, person rather is the better word, not portion, that's a bad word. Uh, not precise. It's a specific person of the Trinity, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, uh, here's, the, here's the thought. A heart convinced, convicted, if you will, by the doctrine of election is a heart most full of thanksgiving. I think Paul understands that. And Paul has that in his mind as he's writing this. You go, how do you know this? You don't know what's in the mind of Paul. I at least know what was in the mind of Paul that came out in the scriptures. But let me give you a few more thoughts and then we're going to look at that. Now when I say convinced, convicted, if you will, by the doctrine of election is a heart most full of thanksgiving, I don't mean that you simply agree mentally. I mean that you are continually understanding and applying the implications of the doctrine of election in your life that is becoming increasingly more precious to you i have some of my own stories concerning the doctrine of election that when i when i was in my undergrad actually I, this, this is not in my script so uh, these are all borrowed minutes, I'm gonna, uh, maybe regret later when the sermon's 75 minutes long, but, uh, in my undergrad, I, I have a degree in religion in my undergrad, I actually wrote a paper against the doctrine of election, right, I, d- I did, um, I've since burned that paper, um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, I, I still have it somewhere, I can't find it, it's probably a good thing, uh, And then, I remember, like, one of my first couple semesters, I think it was my first semester in seminary, like, I just began studying the scriptures, probably the best I had in my life, like, up until that point. Most thorough, and anyways, and I remember, like, sitting in class going, what? Like, really? All right, i got to deal with this. i got to do something, like, it's right there. And, and when I, what, what very quickly came to mind was how many hoops I had to jump through and justifications to make the text not say what it was saying. And I, and I went back to, and I'm thinking, but if I just read it plainly, here's what it says. Now, I've got to deal with that. Now, this is the way I dealt with it back then by making a bunch of exceptions. Exceptions. Let's try not doing that. Maybe it's my heart that needs to change and not the text. So when Paul begins to think about thankfulness in this letter, he starts with, and if you don't believe me, we'll go there in a second, with God the Father and the electing of His children. That's where he begins He begins with the choosing, with the Father's choosing of His children. Now, a couple thoughts on this. If you and I were able to choose God completely on our own, apart from Him, even with, I know the the idea is like this idea of He gives enough grace for everyone to choose Him. But even if that's the case, then if you chose God in that, meaning like on your own, who do you have to be most thankful to? Yourself. Yourself. If that's the case, then you should be thanking yourself. Your back should be sore from patting it so much. Thank goodness, Matthew, that you had the sense to choose God. Well done. God, thank you for letting me choose you. It was so kind for you to softly and tenderly wait for me. God, thank you for not knocking down the door of my heart. Listen, even if you don't, even if you don't believe in election, you can't believe that you would ever choose God on your own if you've even read Ephesians 2. You can't. Ephesians 2 tells us we're a rotting soul enslaved to the evil desires of our hearts and this world. That kind of person doesn't just choose God. It doesn't happen. Honestly, to me, this denial of God's choosing and this embracing and this lifting up of man's choosing sounds a lot like this. Thank goodness we had enough gold earrings that we could melt together in order to bring ourselves to the worship of the correct God. That we could resurrect for ourselves this choosing of my will to be thankful to. Listen, if you get the doctrine of election and the doctrine of depravity, meaning that we could not choose God on our own, or Ephesians 2 first few verses pretty much sum up the doctrine of depravity, then you must be thankful to God. You must be thankful to God. Must be. That we on our own would not choose God, but God in choosing us then enables and works through us and brings us to salvation. We should be the most thankful people on the planet. True. Do we know who God has chosen? No. So we should go pursue everyone as if God has chosen everyone and let Him decide. But we should be the most thankful people in the world. For we were without hope. We were without hope. Listen to me. The only times that you are unhappy are the times that this thought of God choosing you and bringing you out of darkness is a distant thought or a forgotten memory. And the only times when you are discouraged are the times that you happen to forget. The only times when you are puffed up in pride are the times that you forgot, that you have forgotten that God rescued you from darkness when you could not help yourself. The only times when you can't receive exhortation are the times that you can't remember that you certainly received the rescuing work, the the work of God that first says you're unable, so let me come rescue you. You see, a thankful heart is an elected heart, not a self-resurrected heart. Listen to Paul. Paul. Listen to Paul. So this both ties in the point of why Paul's thankful to God. Or the the fact that Paul's thankful to God, the Father specifically, and why he's thankful to God, the Father specifically. Look at verse, we're just going to go through verse 3, 4, and 5 real quick. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who has done the blessing? Who? The Father. God the Father blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4 Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, who did the choosing? Who's the pronoun attached to? He. God the Father. God the Father. He says that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Who's the Him? God the Father. God the Father chose us to be holy and blameless before him. Think about that. Those who were in like enslaved in darkness and evil. I choose you to be holy and blameless. What's it mean to be holy and blameless? Those are the things needed to commune with God. Think about that. That's what Adam and Eve had before the fall. They were holy and blameless. And so they walked with God. So God has chosen us to the state of being, this holy and blameless, for what purpose? Just to be. So that His people could commune with Him. It says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, all of the, like, there's like three or four different things in there. But see it this: that the he predestined us for adoption. The he is God the Father, according to whose praise, according to whose praise, God the Father's. But then we have to ask the question: this. How did the Father do it? How did the Father do it? Because, see, Paul doesn't just stop with give thanks to God the Father. How did God the Father do it? You see, all of our thankfulness to the Father is because of the person and the work of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's why because of his work the father's plans the father's choosing the father's sending of the son and then the son's doing the son's personhood all right let's look at this verse 20 giving thanks always and for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ what is paul saying i like, that's just something that we like to tag at the end of prayers, right? If you pay any attention to my prayers, I often, like 99% of the time, end my prayers with in the name of Christ. Why? Why? Now sometimes, I have to admit, it's habit. When I feel like it's getting habit, that's usually when you'll hear me say in the precious name of Jesus Christ. So i had to add a couple other adjectives to change up my autopilot, right? What does he mean by name? This is the Here's the key. What does he mean by name? Name in this passage means this. All that a person stands for and all that that person has accomplished. Do you hear me? All that a person stands for and all that he has accomplished. So think about that. If you were to read this, what does it mean? In the reality of all that Jesus stands for and all that Jesus has accomplished. That, I am thankful to the Father because of that. See, Christians filled by the Holy Spirit give thanks to God the Father on the basis of who Jesus is, what He has accomplished for His people by His death and His resurrection. Listen, without that, without the work of Christ there, you and I have nothing to be thankful to God for. We can't even express this gratitude to God apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is God's work through His Son. Just a side note here. Note the Trinitarian focus of this passage. Note the work of all three persons of the Trinity. Who's doing the filling, right? The Spirit. He's filling us. To do what? To be thankful to God the Father. And how is all that made possible? Because of the work of the Son. Because of all that He stands for. Listen, do you think you would be thankful if you understood all that His name stands for and all that He has accomplished? Yeah, you would. Do you think you'd be increasingly thankful the, the more you understand what He has accomplished? Yeah. You see, I think many of us stopped learning about what He has accomplished At the few moments following the saying of some kind of prayer to invite Jesus into our hearts, there's a whole lot more to it than that. You see, this, here's the deal. The key to thankfulness, I believe, is the recognition of grace. I think the key to thankfulness is the recognition of grace. Because here's the deal. We are recipients of the grace of the Father because of the work and personhood of Jesus. It is His personhood and His work, Jesus, that makes us right with God the Father. It's not our doing. It has nothing to do with our doing. But again, if you're getting in there and practically thanking yourself for these things, you're not going to be thankful to the Father. Or at least it's going to be very minuscule at best. Look at Ephesians 1, 3-5 again with me. Blessed be God the Father of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in who? Christ. We are blessed us Only in Christ. Only those in Christ are blessed. And it's only because of us being in Christ that we are blessed. Verse 4: Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us only in Christ. Even as He chose us in Him. Who's the in Him? Jesus, He chose us in Christ. He predestined us for adoption as sons through who? Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in who? The Beloved. Who's the Beloved? Jesus Christ. All of that says grace because none of us deserved that. So here's my question, are you thankful for these things? Like when you go back and read Ephesians 1, like does thankfulness well up in your heart? Or do you read it with coldness? if not if you if thankfulness does not well up in your heart and mind then it's either because you think you deserve these things or you simply do not believe them let me say this some of us in this room don't really know this thankfulness to God. Some of us like like this kind of thankfulness that would overtake your heart. This kind of thankfulness that would drive you every moment. this thankfulness that wells up inside, and burst forth in song. Do you know this kind of thankfulness? Do you? If you don't know any measure of this thankfulness to God that would bring forth this joy, I want to encourage you, you should think closely upon whether or not you are a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. If thankfulness to God is a distant or completely absent thought, I would encourage you to go, ask someone to help you think through this, myself, Rusty, other people in this church. Because you might need redemption. Because without redemption, you cannot be the kind of thankfulness, have the kind of thankfulness that Paul's talking about here. He say, Well, well, you talked about this election thing. Maybe I'm just not elected. I I don't know. And you don't know either. We should explore. We should go after that. We should ask God to lead your heart to have faith. So for those of you who thankfulness is a regular part of your life, but obviously we all could have Have room to grow there. Let's go back to the story of the prodigal son. Let's reread what we read and then we'll read the couple verses that I left off earlier. He says this, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father said to him, listen to these words. Listen to these words. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother, li- list, listen to these striking words. For this your brother was dead. Was he, was he, was he dead? He was in a pig pen. What, what's he referring to? He was spiritually dead. He was dead and is alive. Who's lost and is found. You see, the story of sinful thankfulness, misdirected thankfulness, I think is simply the story of pride, self righteousness, legalism. I have done these things, and so I deserve the following. I'm entitled to these things. We become so comfortable with what we have because we've acquired it. We think by our own hands. And then listen to this. When I don't get what I deserve, those around me feel my wrath. What's going on with the elder son? What's he doing? He is giving his wrath to the Father. You have withheld these things from me. These things that I deserve. And how how often do we do that? Look back over this past week. Who felt your wrath because you weren't getting something you felt you deserved? Who around you is feeling wrath maybe even this moment because you're not getting what you think you deserve. But what does the father say to the elder son? What does he say? Look at this, these words one more time. I'm not, not going to reread all of them. You see, because it's here, I, th- I think it's in these words that we find the path to thankfulness. See, it has, it's not what you and I have done or haven't done. It's actually in spite of what you and I have done or haven't done. It's in spite of our sinfulness. Listen Guys, it's not the trophy wall of self-righteousness that we have in our hearts. Listen to the Father. Verse 31. Listen, the Son just said, Look at my great awesomeness. And the Father says, You're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Listen to that. Guys, it's not because of our self-righteousness. It's not because we deserve these things. It's because of God's deep, deep well of graciousness. That's why. That's why. It's not because we deserve anything. It's because of His graciousness. It's because of His graciousness that He says, you are always with me. Think position. Because of His graciousness, He says, all that is mine is yours. Because of God's graciousness, listen to this, that which is dead is made alive. Because of God's graciousness, that which is lost is now found. I would remind you again to come back to this idea of god choosing. What that is dead could make itself alive again. Nothing. Something else has to act on it to bring it to life. What that is truly lost can find its way back home on its own. It can. not Something has to go find it. Jesus tells us this story multiple times. And God does all this work through the name that is above all other names. Jesus, our Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. You see, listen, let me end with this phrase. Faith in God's deep, deep well of immeasurable grace is the pathway to thankfulness. May we repent for thinking we've earned it and deserve it. And may we turn to Thee for grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, may we indeed turn to You for grace. Father, for we have nothing in our hands to bring to You except our sinfulness. Nothing. And Father, you remind us in the midst of that that it's your graciousness to us, that it is your it is your undeserved favor, our undeserved actions and life that you give us blessing. Lord, help us to think through this this past week and. How many times we've thanked ourselves or we're not getting what we des- we think we deserve and so we're we wrathful to other people and we're unthankful. Father, help us to be thankful people. We have everything when we should have nothing. Forget about the houses. Forget about the cars. Forget about physical health. Father, we have the opportunity and the calling to be holy and blameless and commune with our Creator God. We have everything there. We should be the most thankful people in the world. Only when we lose sight of Your great rescue into our darkness to pull us out, only when we lose sight of that do we lose our thankfulness. How do we have, Father, a thankful heart? It's a heart that has faith in your graciousness and a heart that repents of our self-righteousness. Father, give us thankful hearts. Overwhelm your church with thankfulness. Overwhelm us. Make us a thankful people. Father, for we need you, particularly in this area. We need your help to be thankful people, myself included. Lord, we love you, and it is in the most wonderful name of Jesus Christ, that I pray, amen.